Welcome to The Culture Shift. We want this podcast to empower you as leaders to make impactful change in your workplace. I'm Vicky Bars, and I specialize in transforming organizations through equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. In each episode, we'll delve deep into the fascinating world of workplace culture. Join me as I sit down with an array of incredible guests, including members of our very own Culture Shift team and industry experts. Through these thought-provoking conversations, we aim to equip you with the knowledge, tools, and inspiration you need to drive positive change in your workplace. Whether it's breaking down barriers, thinking about how you include a more diverse workforce, or fostering a culture of collaboration and belonging, we've got you covered. So let's dive straight into an episode. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of The Culture Shift. I'm going to be joined by Dr. Christopher Owen. We're going to be talking about unlocking success in EDI company initiatives, making sure that it's not just a tick box exercise and really thinking about the why in tackling workplace oppression. Hi, Christopher. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, Can you do a bit of an introduction to yourself and um, what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks so much for having me. So my name is Christopher Owen. I use he and they pronouns and I'm the inclusivity development manager for Manchester Pride. Uh, So I have a PhD in intersectional systemic oppression, primarily through a framework of black feminism. And I use that expertise to essentially be a consultant for businesses, um, supporting them with their workplace uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion initiatives, but really making sure it takes that that next step into um, actually tackling the causes of inequality and exclusion and discrimination um, through a program at Manchester Pride called the All Equals Charter. Great, brilliant, thank you. So let's start by talking about why it's important for um, us to think about equity, diversity and inclusion, not just being a tick box exercise, um, but why people need to really fundamentally, as you say, understand the um, causes and reasons why um, a system of compression exists within the world and within our workplaces. Um, So yeah. I think in the simplest terms, you don't want to waste your time, money or resources, right? Like just, just to put it, quite simply, Mm. right? A lot of organizations will put on, for example, a nice pizza lunch because it's Pride Month and they want to celebrate their LGBTQ plus employees. And, you know, like that's that's lovely, but it comes out of your EDI budget, which tends to be quite small Mm. um, and it takes time and energy to to organize. Um, And what does it then like accomplish? What have you done? You've you've made a, a few members of your staff feel appreciated a little bit or full (laughs) pizza lovely right that's nice but but what have you done for queer liberation Mm. which is what the pride movement is all about it's what the pride movement is for right it's not it's not about telling your lgbtq plus staff that you like them like Mm. that should be a bare minimum and so what we're seeing with a lot of organizations is that their equality, diversity, inclusion budget is really small. The resources are really small. The time and energy is very limited. And then they invest in initiatives um, that don't actually accomplish anything meaningful. Um, And that's just a waste. It's just a waste for everybody. Okay. Um, One of the key things that I think people then need to consider in um, how they kind of decide what their plans and projects are going to be I guess is an evidence base right to understand what some of the challenges are like there's the wider sort of educational piece and learning around 
um, different types of discrimination and oppression that can exist, but then also understanding the context within your own organisation, right, and doing the work to ask people about their experiences. Yeah, and and I think part of that is both being in touch with your staff's experiences, but also your customers' and clients' experiences, mm-hmm. and, and really being in tune with your community and who it is you're, you're connecting with, right? And that's going to then broaden... Uh, the number of people who engage with your business or your organization, right? Um, because you're, be, you're going to be able to reach them. So absolutely, there's an evidence base when it comes to like, like engagement with communities and really hearing what they're saying. And like a lot of uh, professionals that I work with talk about how that, that's really tricky for them. If they're not a member of a community, how do they hear from that community? Mm. And the top tip that I like to give them is create an Instagram account or a TikTok account specifically for following the charities and grassroots organizations that tackled those specific groups or issues. So one of the things that I do every couple of weeks, not even every, like not every day, not even every week is I just check the uh, Instagram accounts for Mermaid, Gendered Intelligence, the LGBT Foundation, AKT, and so on and so forth. All those LGBTQ plus groups. And then that then helps me know what's the conversation. What are the things that people are talking about? What are the things that we're tackling right now? Yeah. Because if something big happened in the news around trans rights and I'm not paying attention to that, possibly. They are. They are. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. are paying attention to it. So I can, I can see the need there. And then whenever there's big stats released around, say, hate crime, right? So um, we recently found out that hate crimes against trans individuals spiked by 11% this year. Mm. Right? And Stonewall put out a press release about that. So even if you don't see that in the news you'll learn about that from Stonewall. So now you know, when we're thinking about trans inclusion, we know that hate crime is a serious issue for trans people. Mm. So now our EDI initiatives aren't just going to be about like, let's, you know, get pizza for our trans employees. It's going to be like, all right, how do we provide resources for our trans employees about where they can get support, where they can feel safe, what are the trans-inclusive hate crime reporting centers that are local, what can we do to tackle hate in our campaigning work, how can we tackle bullying and hate internally in case that's happening here, mm. right? It, it makes you think a little bit more strategically about, about what's going on. Yeah, I really love that. And then actually in our last episode, we were talking quite a lot about um, misinformation in the media and about like being in an echo chamber. And I love the idea of like intentionally setting up media channels that look at potentially like a protected characteristic that you might not be as familiar with using that information to um like equip yourself to do better for those particular groups of people it's great yeah i think um a lot of people don't feel very confident in their ability to be inclusive Mm. it's like the number one thing that i get from professionals is that they're walking on eggshells around marginalized communities that they're not members of right so white people won't um, know what to say to black people or straight people don't know what to say to queer people. They're so afraid of getting things wrong that they just don't say anything at all. So when we're thinking about like tick box exercises in workplaces, this is a really common example. A lot of employers will um, do like a standard EDI training and unconscious bias training, mm-hmm. right? Now that EDI training will tell you the definition of harassment, bullying, discrimination, and what the Equality Act of 2010 says, right? You'll know who the protected characteristics are. You'll know not to bully. You'll know that if you do, you'll get fired or disciplined in some way, right? And then you'll take unconscious bias training. And that unconscious bias training is gonna tell you that you're inherently likely to bully and discriminate and be mean to other people. And you're gonna do it unintentionally and you can't help it. And you're 
at your core a bad person. So what those two then bits of training do is they make you terrified. They make you absolutely terrified to engage with anyone who's got a different social group identity from you. And so what do you do? You avoid them at all possible costs, right? Which in and of itself becomes a an act of bullying. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> right? So now your your queer staff or your, your staff that are people of color or whomever um, are like completely ostracized in the workplace, but they're also not getting mentored. They're not getting listened to in meetings or they're not getting platformed. They're not getting those opportunities. So now they're mm. not progressing, right? So now they're not only excluded in the workplace culture, they're also excluded from opportunity, right? And that's where we're seeing a huge barrier to marginalized communities getting senior leadership positions and decision-making decision, like opportunities. Yeah. Um, and so this standard best practice approach you have to have a quality training and you have to have unconscious bias training like that is standard best practice i think it's causing more harm than good i think it's actually detrimental to liberation right we don't want we don't just want diverse staff teams right imagine a workplace where it's super diverse there's loads of people of color in this this workplace right but they're all in the lowest paid least secure least important positions right they're all like Janitorial, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all these 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 lower level positions in our, in the within the higher. I mean, it's very easy to imagine a workplace like that because that's a lot of work. It's most most yeah. of them. Right? <laughs> but then, who are the senior decision makers? They're all white men, right? They're all like the chief execs, the leadership. They're all white, right? And or, or usually they are, and they're usually all men. Or even if they're not all, they they're very like the majority of them are, right? Like, Absolutely, right? And so all we've now done is created a microcosm of white supremacy. That's literally all we've achieved. You might have a 56% people of color workforce and say that you're majority people of color, except you've still created a microcosm of white supremacy. So those tick box exercises where you've hired a diverse staff team and you've done your equality training and you've done your unconscious bias training has actually made things worse. It's actually like become a problem. And, and so that's why we need to be thinking about like, what are we trying to achieve? <laughs> what, what's the point of what we're doing here? Yeah. And I think if, like, if we unpack the purpose of those sessions, and obviously, especially unconscious bias has been like under the um, microscope for some time now in terms of its um, actual effectiveness and whether or not we are training people to understand but not actually change their biases. Um, and so I guess the first the first kind of training is about like doing your due diligence as an organisation, right? Which, again, feels a bit tick boxy, but how do you not not do it mm. um where you feel like well if you don't communicate expectations to your employees like then they won't know what they can and can't do but i think there's ways in which you can communicate those expectations and i think that's something that's really missing from a lot of those trainings and those policies sometimes is the like how do you deal with interpersonal conflict in a way that isn't like you're either sacked or it's fine. <laughs> like, right? Like, there's a nuance in between there. And they, 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 it's not so, um, you know, simple as, like, everyone's just really nice to each other or we're all performing gross misconduct all the time. And some of those policies kind of make it feel that way. And for me, I think, like, codes of conduct should be about articulating um, how you want your employees to behave, not just what they can and can't do, mm -hmm. right? Like, setting a tone for, like, actually... Um, 
again in the past um, episode we were talking quite a lot about curious conversations and I really love that idea of like you know encouraging people to want to know about one another and to learn about one another's cultures and to understand and how to find ways to like share and celebrate that and again it's like not just having these nice to have events because it's like yay great it's pride month we're gonna just like put some rainbows up and give people pizza it's actually about like let's understand like the history of queer liberation let's look at some of the challenges that are still persisting for LGBTQ plus people and um and and that is for me like a more useful way of say starting to have some of those curious and courageous conversations with each other you've hit the nail right on the head it's about identifying the why why should we be trans inclusive why should we hire trans people well because like 25 percent of trans people in this country have, are experiencing homelessness right like because 50 percent experience discrimination in in getting employment, right? Like, that's why we're going to be more trans-inclusive because there are real systemic issues happening. Mm. And and a lot of workplace equality training doesn't provide a why, right? Outside of the law says so and it's the right thing to do. Actually, people need that context and yeah. it's not their fault that they haven't been taught that context, whether they're not familiar with it, um, especially if that's not their job. Like, if they're not an EDI professional... Mm and they're not passionate about those things, they're not going to know. And that's when then people think that, you know, marginalized communities are getting special privileges or things are unf- like that, like um, hiring people of color is like unfair or something like they're, they're unfamiliar with the, the, the larger context. So to providing that why is really important. But the, the thing that I think is also really important, touching on what you just said, is like a really, really old Marxist idea. This is not new of like building class consciousness, right? So being aware that, in a system of oppression, yes, there's white privilege, yes, there's male privilege, et cetera, et cetera. But unless you're the hyper mega wealthy, right? Like unless you're like a multi-billionaire oil tycoon, the system isn't probably working against you, right? And, and there's loads of things that we could point at right now, right? Mm. We could look at our cost of living crisis. We can look at the crumbling state of the NHS. We can, you know, we can look at uh, like housing and food prices like, like we can look at how difficult things are right now and you can be a white cis het man who is struggling on a, right on now a, on a median income as well yeah, right? Like, right like and like, that to me is part of um the challenge sometimes with the kind of concept of class right is like people will be like but i earn a decent wage i've got a roof over my head like i am not oppressed in a class like kind of context but you're right like if you are still feeling the pinch mm-hmm. of this and he, and that might be like We've, you know, and it shouldn't be stuff like well, we've decided not to buy any new clothes or go on holiday this year, so we can pay our additional mortgage for it. Like payments. that's not the same. Yeah, like that is not being in a privileged position financially. No. Like you might not be worrying about whether or not you have a roof over your head because you can still choose to not have some of those luxuries and still keep a roof over your head. But that is still a really stressful experience yeah. to be having, right? And we shouldn't be foregoing all of these like opportunities to have a nice life in order to just like basic survival. But it's all one system of power. Yeah. Right. And so when we're thinking about how do we connect with our colleagues from different identity groups, that class consciousness is really, really valuable now because we can think about, well, they're suffering under the same system that I am. Mm. Right. Now, they might be suffering actually worse or they might be having a harder time. But rather than competing, let's all look at like, okay, actually, yeah, it would be better if all of us had a better economic system. It would, you know, like we'd all benefit from a healthcare system 
like functioning properly, right? Like we'd all benefit from that. And so let's take, for example, um, at the recent Tory party conference, um, they announced that trans women are going to be banned from all women-only wards on the NHS mm -hmm. and trans men are going to be banned from all men-only wards on the NHS. Now, they've done that under the framework of protecting women, right? And like that's created this, like what's well, contributed to uh, a division between cis women and trans people, right? Like that, that, that division has been sort of like fabricated there. But when we look at the data, we see that there have been no formal complaints or Not tribunals, yeah. nothing against trans women on women-only wards, nothing at all. But what issues are women facing in healthcare? Well, the doctors aren't listening to them about their pain. Their uh, healthcare needs aren't being met in terms of like uh, menstruation, right? Like, um, and then of course, with austerity cuts, access to crisis centers are just big, they're just closing down left, right, and center. There's a scarcity of resources. But yet we've seen none of these politicians talking about any of those problems. No, yeah. right? And so when we're talking about class consciousness, both cis women and trans women stand to benefit from a healthcare system that meets both of their needs and treats both of them with respect. And so we can build that solidarity by teaming up to fight and improve the healthcare mm. system. And you can do that for any issue. So anyone who's listening to this podcast or watching it can um, say, take, take a minute and think, what are the issues structurally, like institutionally within this country that are personally impacting my life? And how is that now impacting other communities? Mm. Is it impacting people of color worse than me? Is it impacting women or is it impacting autistic communities, whoever, right? And like, all right, so if we now team up and work together collaboratively, if we find the things that bring us together politically and where we have shared goals, now I don't have to worry about, um, you know, saying the right thing and walking on eggshells. Really and them. Yeah. yeah, like there's not that division between us we've built solidarity and we're working collaboratively towards the same goals. Yeah, and I think it's useful to bring that into a workplace context and the idea of like, you've used the term here around like systemic oppression mm -hmm. quite a lot. And um, actually people understanding that like the, the way that the system works is like it's cyclical and that these things build to like systemic oppression, right? Like my understanding of it is that um, oppression is a cycle and that like when there is systemic oppression that puts out particular types of stereotype and expectations of certain types of people that builds into experiences of discrimination and um, potential like ostracization and alienation. Um, and when that's done consistently to the same groups of people, it builds back into that systemic oppression, right? And organizations can break that chain mm -hmm. in so many different places and um, it's like like breaking cycle oppression is something that I've, I've thought about and worked on quite a lot in different um, workplace contexts and actually coming back to your why like which are the things that you feel you need to interject in in your organization so is it actually that like there is a lack of clarity around um the types of experiences that this this group of people are having in the workplace and we need wider education on it is it that actually there is a progression barrier for these groups of people and and um not looking at oh it's a deficit of those people but it's a deficit of the organization and how is the organization causing those barriers and what can we do to put in place to help break those barriers down so what types of interventions might encourage or support people um to 
um, climb up. I used to work on a program um, around um, sponsorship rather than mentorship. Mm-hmm. Now, mentorship absolutely has its place and it's a useful intervention for a lot of people. And there's lots of things like reverse mentorship happening now and, and, and those are really great opportunities. But the concept of sponsorship was about saying, okay, well, we have a primarily like white leadership in the organization and um, we recognize that people of color are getting stuck at a certain grade and it's not out of at lack of skills or qualifications because they are overqualified once they finally get promoted. Um, it's actually about a foot in the door. It's a seeing someone like me. And if there isn't someone like you, if you haven't got role models, um, then having a sponsor who can say, actually, this person's really fantastic and I'm going to bring them along and like bring them into the space so they can get to know it's it's kind of like the opposite of nepotism Mm -hmm. it's like if you haven't got that connection already um it's about opening those opportunities there was one particular example of um a head of department who was sponsoring a woman who was really interested in becoming a um like business development manager in that team um, but she'd never had any experience of budgets before like managing budgets and so her sponsor was like well I'm going to bring you in on my budgeting meeting and it was just like a shadowing opportunity and it meant that she got to sit down and work through the budgeting process and the next time she applied for a business development manager role she was able to say yeah I've you know I've not actually had a post like this before but I understand exactly how the budgeting process works and she got the job and it's like you know those sorts of interventions can be really powerful at looking at the where are the systemic problems and how are we addressing them yeah that's brilliant really really brilliant and one of the things I think that can really help organizations with driving initiatives like that is to recognize that meritocracy is a myth, mm. right? That we that people don't get opportunities because they've earned them and deserved them. They've been given opportunities because they knew the right person or because they're a man so people listened to them or because they're white so people respected them, right? And when we, when we look at... Um, you know, progression and opportunity and leadership, what we're often seeing is that there aren't a lot of women of color in positions of leadership, not because they can't lead or because they're not smart or hardworking or dedicated. Like, that's not the reason, right? It's because people haven't valued them and seen them. And so in meritocracy, we tend to think that people who are in leadership positions, they got that off of merit. They deserve to be there. And people who don't have those leadership positions didn't deserve to get those positions. And that's just simply not true. That's not the world we live in. And sometimes we, we, we want to live in a world of equality, right? And I get people saying to this to me all the time, like, well, if we're, if we're all equal, Christopher, then why isn't it like this? And I have to be like, oh, but we're not. <laughs> we're not all equal. We <laughs> yeah. should be, and we're working towards it, but we're not. So we can't have a merit, like, we can't have meritocracy. Under an unequal system. No, like, yeah. meritocracy and systemic oppression are polar opposites. So you either believe that we live in a society of meritocracy or we live in a society that has oppression in it, but we can't have a society that's both. And so if you believe that oppression exists, that racism is real, then you have to admit that we don't live in a fair system that gives opportunity to people who work the hardest and who earn it the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked about needing to like, have interventions in that cycle of oppression in order to you know, make a difference for people who are experiencing workplace oppression. Um, can you give any examples of um, good practice or like success stories that you've seen in the companies that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've seen lots, uh, frankly. So one of the success stories that um, I can share is um, Auto Trader is one of the clients of the All Equals Charter. Uh, this year they were accredited at Role Model, which is our, our highest level. Um, and one of the key reasons that they were accredited that is that they, um, they sell cars. That's essentially a, a big 
part of what they do. Um, and they um, sort of partner with a bank to do all of the sales part of, mm. of, the, of the sales. And the forms on that, ba- like, that the bank have don't allow for non-binary identities and aren't trans-inclusive whatsoever. And so AutoTrader turned to that bank and said, we won't work with you anymore unless you make your forms trans-inclusive. So as part of their own internal inclusion endeavor, they created change in a, like a big banking institution in this country. Yeah. Like, and that kind of like external work is really, really important. Um, and now they, like, an auto trader, like, they drive and have founded and have led loads of LGBTQ plus equality initiatives within the automotive industry. So if you're like working in, like, with cars at all or, or vehicles at all, you'll probably have heard of auto traders yeah, yeah, yeah. work. And if you then, ever bought a car, you've probably heard of it, right? Yeah, right? And, but they, they, they lead those like, equality initiatives within, within the industry and within the sector. So like, being engaged in those conversations, not being afraid to call out your suppliers and mm. the businesses that you're partnered with, because systems of oppression are all interlocking and interconnected. So it's not enough to just treat yourself like you're in a vacuum. You have to work with others. Yeah. Another one of our clients in the All Equals Charter is Bruntwood. Uh, they own commercial property um, across the UK um, and manage that. And um, they partner with like smaller charities. So they um, helped with the construction of the Proud Place, uh, the LGBTQ plus center here in Manchester. Nice. Like they consulted on that and provided like their expertise to support that, that charity initiative. Yeah. Um, and then this past year, they were working with Homotopia in Liverpool, supporting queer young people and queer youth and helping to drive like support for them. And then they've put on events for their their customers around how to be trans inclusive and like really like teaching people how to do it so not just their own internal teams but external organizations and like reaching out to their own customers so like for me best practice absolutely want to look at what's going on internally but actually what are you changing in your communities what are you changing externally what do you what's the drive you're doing there you know another one of of uh, you were talking about mentorships before and and I, I agree that sponsorships are brilliant but another one of uh, the clients of the all equals charter unite students uh, they do student accommodations at universities they have a mentorship program to help uh, like young black people get their first career started and really get that get, get that going thinking about the ways that young people of color like have so many barriers to opportunity unite students just took those barriers away, it created opportunity for them. That kind of work where you look at what are the systemic issues, what are the barriers on an institutional level in this country, mm. and where do we have the power to get in the way of those barriers or to take those barriers down and make some difference. Yeah. Really, really valuable. We work with a company called Talent Tap, mm-hmm. whom we had a couple of placements on there, and those were for people who perhaps um, first generation going to university or haven't had necessarily the like cultural capital within their environment to um, like think about where they're going after university, and like so. Talent Tap give people placements like during and and just after, and it's the kind of students that aren't getting on those like big four like kind of law firm banking sector sort of graduate traineeships, um, um, giving them that workplace opportunity. So as that yeah, when they leave university, the workplace isn't this like terrifying thing they're moving towards. It's something they already know about. They've already like feel confident navigating. They've already had some ideas about the kinds of careers they might want to be pursuing, and it's just yeah, it's been fantastic, and we had like say two placements here this summer um and looking forward to continuing our our work with them and it's those sorts of initiatives that i think make a really big difference it it, it's the difference between a tick box exercise though right Mm. like we were talking about before are you 
are you putting on a pizza party for your LGBTQ plus staff or are you building an LGBTQ plus center? Right? Yeah, quite a big difference. The, there's a huge difference. No, yeah. And like the budget is actually like not that different in the sense of like they gave free time to the charity to build. Like they didn't build the center themselves for free. Like that's mm. a hugely different budget, right? But they, they were consultants on that project. And yeah, that, that costs money in the sense of like time of, of a professional member of staff's experience and, and being in those meetings and such. Sure, that costs money, but um, it's a different budget and it's a, it's a different way of operating your budget than buying 30 pizzas, right? Like, and it, and it means, I think, a lot more. And then when you're thinking about your internal staff team, you communicate that down, you get other people maybe involved, you, you get your LGBT staff to maybe provide some guidance to, to the experts who are in those meetings about queer inclusion, whatever it might be. Mm. Getting people involved means that your LGBTQ plus staff now don't just feel like, oh, we had a pizza party because you know, they're not homophobic. It's they involved us in having a voice in driving change in our community because they actually genuinely value us and they actually value our liberation as a group. Yeah. It's a big difference. It's such a big difference. Um, and so uh, you've talked a bit about the All Equals Charter, but um, uh, do you want to give us a little bit more of a flavour of sort of like what you do with companies when you're when you're undertaking that? Yes. So the All Equals Charter is a workplace inclusion membership program for businesses and organisations. So what that means is um, a business or an organisation can sign up for the charter if they uphold a set of principles, values and commitments that we have on our website that are essentially all about equality and inclusion for LGBTQ plus people in an authentic and meaningful way. And then uh, members can choose to go down one of three routes. So they can just be a member, which means that they're pledging to uphold our commitments. They can access a variety of resources that we have on our website. And then they can also attend these sort of monthly get-togethers with all of the membership. So a lot of these accreditation programs are competitive. And you'll hear like the top 50 most inclusive companies or whatever, like you hear these things from other programs all the time. If we want to build a world of equality, then we shouldn't be in competition with one another. We should be all working together towards a more equal world, right? It's that class consciousness thing. And we'll do that inter-business-wise inter as well. So we actually bring our membership together. They're, it's a voluntary opportunity for them if they want it, to meet with one another, share best practice with one another, talk about what they're struggling with, provide insights or guidance to help one another, right? Like, just because my another business is improving their equality doesn't mean that that's a threat to my business, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's actually just good for everybody. So we create like a, a community, which is really, really nice. From there, um, our members have the opportunity to go for a full accreditation. So what that means is they fill out a form that we have um, in, with support from the All Equals Charter team led by myself, um, which will then mean that we get to have a look at things like their policies, their decision-making processes, their... Um, uh, workforce training and recruitment practices, their contracts with suppliers. Like, we're very, very thorough. So we have a look at all of that and we assess all of that. Mm. But then we also actually go into their space, actually have a look at it. Like we, I go in with a measuring tape to see actually how accessible it is. And, <laughs> and, I, um, and then I actually I hold focus groups with their staff and I hear like on the ground real lived experience. What's it like working here? How are you finding it as an LGBTQ plus person or as a cishet person mm. who like, how are you involved in these conversations? Right? How does it make you feel? Um, and then I, I, um, we, we sort of gather that all up and then we provide uh, an accreditation level to that business. Um, but the key, so they, they might get anywhere from entry level, which means they're just starting, to like full law model, which is our best one. Um, and that's nice. That's like a nice little sticker that they can have, I guess. But like the real value is that they get f bespoke feedback. Yeah. It's not just like, 
you know, well, here's best practice. Here's a list of tick boxes that you didn't meet. Go and do them. It's a, this is how your organization operates. You're on a journey. You're currently at step A of that journey. We're going to move you to step B, mm. right? And, and next year we'll get to step C and, and we'll move you slowly in the steps that make sense for you and your organization yeah. and who you are. Now, some of our members don't feel like they're ready for that full assessment. That's too much for them. They already know that they're not very good at yeah. inclusion. They're at the beginning of their journey. And so we've developed something that I've never seen anywhere else before called the Getting Started Program, where we give them the same form that we would do for the accreditation assessment, but rather than having them fill it all out and get assessed, they just say, yes, we have that, or no, we don't. And then everything that they don't have, we then provide. We then, work a, on. We, yeah, we then build an great. action plan, and mm. we work on it. And I provide quite a long consultation period for them, helping them to develop an action plan and get those things sorted. Yeah. So no matter where somebody is in their accreditation or their inclusion journey, the All Equals Charter is designed to provide them with the resources, provide them with the community, provide them with the consultations to get the ball rolling to continue their inclusion journey to move forward. Yeah, brilliant. So thank you, Christopher. It's been really great speaking to you today. Um, I've uh, loved the passion and enthusiasm that you bring to ending systemic oppression and um, all of the different ways in which we've been able to give really practical examples about the why uh, that people should be doing this work and it not just being a tick box exercise. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've honestly really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Culture Shift. We hope you found it insightful and informative. We really appreciate your support and value your feedback. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share your thoughts, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay updated on when we release new episodes. If you're interested in our other content or how Culture Shift can help your organization, check out our YouTube channel, website, or drop us a message, and I'll see you next time.